The catechism question is number 28. How does Christ execute the office of a priest? Of course, we just heard about priests, didn't we? Um, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. But now we ask, how does Christ execute the office of a priest? Christ executes the office of a priest in His once offering up of Himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God and in making continual intercession for us. What a wonderful answer this is. Very succinct, but thorough and true. Let us read now from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 28. So you've had a very healthy dose of the book of Hebrews today, haven't you? Here is more. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? It's a good question, isn't there? It was promised under the Old Testament that the Christ would come according to the line of Melchizedek. He would be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And the writer to the Hebrews is here asking the question, well, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? I continue. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, that is of Melchizedek, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, excuse me, concerning Christ. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not about and it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the, of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching and teaching of it this afternoon. The question that is asked here again is this, how does Christ execute the office of a priest? 
we have we have been learning about this that Christ fulfilled uh, three offices in his incarnation and in his exaltation the office of a prophet priest and king these offices were were prefigured ahead of time in the old covenant in the old covenant there were prophets priests and kings different men fulfilled these offices and they did so for a limited time and in a limited way but we have been learning that when Christ came to accomplish our redemption as the Messiah he fulfilled all three of these offices he he has fulfilled them completely and he holds them permanently therefore he is the great prophet he is the great high priest of his people he is the great king the king of kings and the lord of lords by understanding these truths we come to better appreciate what it is that Christ has done for us we come to better appreciate what his work was as God's prophet he came to declare the will of the lord to us and to reveal the father to us this he did in a most full and complete way he was the eternal word of god come in the flesh he was the word of god come in the flesh as God's great prophet here we are talking about Christ as our great high priest the answer that is given to this question is this Christ executes the office of a priest in his once offering up of himself when we speak of offering up we are using the language of sacrifice the priests of the old covenant offered up sacrifices to God on behalf of themselves and the people to provide for the purification of their sins i've said enough already about what kind of purification that was it was not the forgiveness of sins for all eternity uh, that was provided but rather purification in a fleshly and an earthly way under the old covenant so the language of offering up is the language of sacrifice christ executes the office of a priest in that he offers up a sacrifice he does that priestly duty i think here in the answer to this question we need to draw special attention to the word himself the christ offered up not animal sacrifices to purify the flesh a christ in his priestly office was unique in that he offered himself up as the sacrifice and he could do this for he had no sin he had no sin and he was appointed by God the father to live and to die as a substitute for others so christ as our great high priest offered up himself and also the word once is important here in his once offering up of himself the priesthood that descended from aaron the levitical priesthood that ministered under the old covenant they would offer up not themselves but animals and this they would do continuously day after day more and more animal sacrifices would be offered up year after year decade after decade why because uh, these animal sacrifices did not really and permanently and truly and eternally take away the sins of the people but rather provided purification for them so that they could be considered upright under the terms of the old mosaic covenant but Christ came he offered up a sacrifice he offered up himself and this he did once for all it is finished he said so christ is not to be offered up over and over and over again he has completed the work that god has given him to do he has earned the salvation of those given to him by the father the work is done he need not offer himself up continuously this of course is contrary to what 
Rome teaches. He offered himself up once. And what did he offer himself up for? What did he accomplish? Next, our catechism says, a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice. This is a very important remark here. When we talk about the, the sacrifice of Christ, His dying on the cross, we tend to emphasize this truth, that He died in order to wash our sins away, to cleanse us. And this is true. Through Christ's sacrifice and through faith in Him, our consciences are cleansed. Uh, this is indeed true, but our catechism emphasizes something else. Uh, our catechism says that Christ offered Himself up a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice. What is this about? Well, here we are taught uh, this very important truth, that if we remain in our sins, God must judge us if He is to remain just. In order for God to be just, He must judge all sin. So, in order for our sins to be forgiven, for, in order for us to be made right in God's sight, something has to be done with our sins. Our sins have to be dealt with. Our sins have to be paid for. And here we are taught that Christ offered Himself up in order to satisfy divine justice, so that the wrath of God was poured out not upon us, but upon Christ. Ephesians 5.2 says that we are to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do you see there is a, a Godward orientation here? There is, a, there, there is something that Christ did that was towards God. He, he offered Himself up as a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice. I think that is what is being said here. And in Hebrews 2.17 we read, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That word propitiation is important. When, when, when we talk about propitiation, we are talking about divine wrath being satisfied, you see. Uh, Paul speaks in this way. He speaks of Christ uh, doing what he did in order that God might be both the might remain just and be the justifier of all who have faith in Christ. It's an important little phrase there. By providing the Christ and, and by sending the Christ to die to cleanse us of our sins and to satisfy divine justice, God has both managed to save us, that is to justify us, while remaining himself just. It is not just for a judge to simply pardon sin. That would be unjust. But God has cleansed us of our sins. He has poured out His wrath upon the Messiah so that He might be both just and the justifier of all who have faith in Christ. Next, our catechism points out that Christ offered Himself up so as to reconcile us to God. Uh, to reconcile is, is to bring back. We know that we were alienated from God. We were made to be at enmity with Him when Adam fell into sin. Adam was separated from God and all of humanity in Him because of that broken covenant of works. But Christ has come to cleanse us of our sins, to satisfy divine justice, so that we might be reconciled to God, or be, 
to, to be brought back with him so that we have him now as, as father uh, so that that relationship that was so terribly broken might be restored. Hebrews 7.25, we read it just a moment ago, says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So we are able to draw near to God through Christ, really and truly. I do not want to get too far ahead of myself, but as we come back to the book of Exodus next Sunday, we will see uh, that after the old Mosaic covenant was, was ratified, a vision was shown to, to, to the elders and to, uh, to, to the priests and, and even to all Israel. They, they saw God. They saw a vision of God. They, they saw uh, the, the floor of His throne room, as it were, looking into heaven. You know, there was a foretaste there given to the people of Israel of what would be theirs through faith in the, in the Messiah. Um, Christ has come to... To, to reconcile us to God, to bring us back into a right relationship with Him. This was the purpose of His work. Indeed, the priests served as intermediaries under the Old Covenant, uh, but they could not bring sinners all the way back into a right relationship with God. Only Christ can do this. There is one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly, our catechism says that He lives to make continual intercession for us. To intercede is to go between uh, the priests would intercede on behalf of the people under the Old Covenant. They would offer up sacrifices for them. They would pray for the people. And Christ has offered Himself up as a sacrifice, and He does continually intercede for us. He prays to God on our behalf. Who is to condemn, Romans 8.34 says. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who, who is indeed interceding for us. Christ presently still has this, this ministry of intercession. Uh, we are able to come into God's presence through Him, and He does intercede for us. I'll remind you of Second London Confession of Faith, chapter 8, point, uh, paragraph 10, by way of conclusion, because I think this is a wonderful summary statement on all of these doctrines regarding Christ being our great prophet, priest, and king. I'll read it to you now, and with this we'll conclude... This number and order of offices is necessary. In other words, we need this. For, in respect of our ignorance, we stand in need of His prophetical office. And in respect of our alienation or separation from God and imperfection of the best of our services, we need His priestly office to reconcile us and present us acceptable unto God. And in respect to our averseness and utter inability to return to God, and for our rescue and security from our spiritual adversaries, we need His kingly office to convince, subdue, draw, uphold, deliver, and preserve us to His heavenly kingdom. What wonderful truths are these. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank You for Jesus Christ the Messiah, our great High Priest. We thank You for His sacrifice, the sacrifice of Himself. We thank You that through His shed blood we can have the forgiveness of sins, a cleansed conscience. We thank You even for His work of intercession now, that He is at Your right hand interceding for us. Through Him we are presented as blameless before You, O God. Through Him we are able to call You Father, and we are grateful. Lord, do help us to abide in Christ. Help us to appreciate all that He has done for us, all of the benefits that He has brought to us in the covenant of grace. May we cling to Him and live for the magnification of His name. And all of God's people say, Amen.